Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. That's our theme song in the background. But today's topic is a little different. So uh, let me uh, go to my uh, quadraphonic stereo here and uh, take the needle off the record and uh, slip something else on, a little different piece of vinyl. There we go. That's the Playboy theme. It uh, opened Playboy After Dark and Playboy's Penthouse, two amazing television shows from the late 50s and the late 60s. Hugh Hefner displaying the Playboy culture on camera. And it was all part of uh, Hef's master plan uh, with part of the magazine as well to show the reader the Playboy lifestyle. He chose that name for a reason. Uh, it's a great example of the cocktail generation and I understand that looking back now and this pendulum has certainly swung uh, you can look back at Playboy and just look at the centerfolds and just look at the nude pictures and think that's it but frankly the Playboy magazine and the Playboy experience was far beyond that and we've got an author today Patty Farmer who's going to talk about it Patty was on a couple of years ago and talked about her first book about the Playboy culture it was called Playboy Swings and music like this was a big part of it. Uh, the magazine started in the pre-rock and roll era, and Hef was a big jazz freak, and jazz was a huge part of Playboy. So in that first book, Patty uh, discusses the relationship of Playboy and jazz, the start of the magazine, and also the start of the Playboy clubs, and uh, the great jazz musicians that played at the clubs. There's a new book now called Playboy Laughs, and it delves further into the magazine's history and also the club's history. On the club side, it's a look at the stand-up comedians that came through the Playboy clubs. And as you probably know, especially if you're a fan of this show, the late 50s, there was a real change as far as the style of comedy. Uh, sketch comedy suddenly came out with Nichols and May, and also great stand-up comedy from the likes of Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul and Bob Newhart. Very different people, but... Doing more slice of life stuff, that take my wife please joke book era of stand up comics was giving way to these news people that were really taking a look at society. And that's what Playboy did as well. And again, get past the nudes and, and think about some of the essays, articles, book adaptations that were going on. The top writers, Alex Haley, um, Arthur C. Clarke, Ian Fleming would serialize James Bond books in Playboy. Great exposure. A great representation of that madman culture. And certainly the clubs were no exception to that. So we talk about that with Patty and uh, get into the Playboy Cub Club culture as far as the comics go. And speaking of comics, of course, cartoons, uh, illustrations were very much a part of Playboy. And uh, the history of Playboy cartooning goes hand in hand with the history of comic books. Because Playboy came at that same time that cartoonists were being chased out of comic books because of the Kefauver Commission, and um, wasn't it Kefauver? Maybe I'm confusing myself, but you know, the, the Senate hearings about juvenile delinqu delinquency being tied to comics, comics kind of got dumbed down, 
and really for, for, for a kid's audience at that point moving on. But a lot of great comic book golden age uh, creators jumped over to Playboy and did a lot of impressive work. And I'm talking about guys like Jack Cole, the creator of Plastic Man. So many of the artists and writers that made mag magazine great and, in fact, have really tried to institute a separate humor magazine. We're going to talk about that with many of the mad creators. Uh, pretty interesting conversation with Patty Farmer about all that history. And she's got great stories in the book. We get a little bit out of her in terms of what's coming up in Volume 3 of her Playboy history. But this was a delightful conversation about the history of stand-up during the Playboy Club years, which is a really important part of the evolution of stand-up comedy uh, in that precursor to the comedy clubs of the 70s and 80s and even today. Uh, there was a time when really Playboy was a lifeline to comedians and cartoonists, and it's all laid out in Playboy Laughs, the new book from Patty Farmer. So uh, it's a pleasure to talk to Patty today. Uh, it's a great book. I can't recommend it enough. And I'm happy to share this conversation with you on Word Balloon today. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for the support through Patreon, through WordBalloon.com. When you come there, Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you uh, want to uh, help the cause out and sp help sponsor Word Balloon each month, uh, a donation to Patreon would be great. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. That's where my Patreon page is. There's an ad for it that, and a link that will take you directly there if you click on it at WordBalloon.com. But uh, thank you very much. You know, I just came back from San Diego a couple weeks ago, and uh, I, you know, I can't do it without the support of the League of Word Balloon listeners. So thank you very much, League, for your support, and I uh, hope you're enjoying the, the entertainment that I try to provide to you each week. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. They're uh, speaking of Playboy. Um, one of the uh, experiments that Hefner did with cartooning was a magazine called Trump. We talk a bit about it in my conversation with Patty. And if you want to experience it yourself, Dark Horse last year put out, uh, it was volume two of their essential Harvey Kurtzman collection. It's the complete collection of Trump. It's the two magazines that they were able to put out 60 years ago. Crazy. Trump magazine only lasted in 1956 and 57. Um... I guess apparently uh, they only had two magazines, but they did in this collection. They include the third issue, which is pretty amazing. Listen to the creators beyond Harvey Kurtzman that uh, contributed to Trump. Will Elder, Al Jaffe, Jack Davis, Mel Brooks, Arnold Roth, Russ Heath, Wally Wood. Uh, there's an essay and annotations by Dennis Kitchen. It's an incredible volume, and uh, I think it's a wonderful compliment to my conversation today with Patty. And you really need to check it out because it's very cool humor that these guys did outside of EC Comics and Mad Magazine. But it's 45% off, and it's just $16.49 from InStockTrades.com. Can't recommend it enough, and can't recommend Playboy Laughs enough. So uh, among the great values that you can find at InStockTrades, there's one in particular that dovetails into today's conversation. You'll find great comics, great graphic novels, Great books about comics at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Okay, so let's get into uh, this conversation now. Before we start with Patty, I have a relative, because I, I kind of wanted to comb through my own memories of Playboy uh, as a kid. And yes, I was one of those kids that, you know, I had my uncle's copies, my dad. I don't remember ever seeing my father's 
copies of Playboy magazine. But I had a couple uncles that had Playboy, and every now and then they'd accidentally leave it around in the den or something like that. So I remember in the early 70s, you know, rifling through Playboy at an age I probably shouldn't have. Uh, but also, the Playboy clubs, you know, the first one came, you know, was based in Chicago, my hometown. The Playboy building was a long uh, feature of Chicago's loop skyline. And um, not only was the Playboy Club in Chicago a big deal, but um, in those days before airline travel became really inexpensive and anyone could go anywhere, um, much like the Catskills relationship to New York City, um, Wisconsin, and in particular Lake Geneva, was a really nice getaway by car for Chicago people to go north and relax and have a little more open space and appreciate the the land up there. And they uh, Hefner built a Playboy Club in Lake Geneva that had an incredible golf course, beautiful hotel, this incredible resort. It's still there. It's called the Grand Geneva Resort now, and it it you know pretty much is still the skeleton of what was the Playboy Club in Lake Geneva. But uh, you know there aren't many of my uh, fathers and uncles' generations left. I luckily am the baby as far as my first cousins go, so I went through our ranks and stuff. I do know that my father and my sister and mother and my grandfather took a trip to Jamaica and stayed at a Playboy resort down there and great pictures of my grandfather, although I don't have them or I put them up on the website of my 80-something-year-old grandfather standing next to a Playboy bunny. And uh, it's hilarious. And... Uh, Great entertainment, great great music, great stand-up comedians. The Professor Irwin Corey, who comes up in the conversation, who just passed away and actually made it to the uh, age of 100. Uh, he entertained at the Playboy Club when my father and my family saw them there. And I, again, my family. I don't think Pam was allowed to go to the club, obviously. But uh, my grandfather, mother, and father were all there in attendance. And um, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm like kind of the runt of the family, the baby, as far as the other uh, c- cousins go. But I, I spoke to uh, one of my older cousins, Joe Renna, who uh, is one of those madman executives that uh, was doing business back in the day and uh, would go to the Playboy Clubs, both the Chicago Club and the Lake Geneva Club. So I wanted to get a firsthand account of what it was like being at the Playboy Clubs at the peak of their relevance and popularity. So here's a short conversation with uh, Joe Renna telling us about the experience of a guy who went to the Playboy Club a couple times. And I think you're going to appreciate his point of view on it. Here's Joe Renna now on Word Balloon. Joe Renna, welcome to Word Balloon. I appreciate you talking to me about the, your memories of the Playboy Club. Well, John, uh, you have to understand at the time, uh, Hugh Hefner did everything even above first class. And he had, you know, the hottest girly magazine uh, for lack of a better term, sure. uh, but but few people realized uh, that he had great authors writing great articles uh, in the in the magazine. That's number one. He had you know he he went public. Uh, he had the Playboy clubs in major cities across the country. So not only all the revenue from the magazine, but the revenue from the clubs. So he decides to build this incredible resort in Lake Geneva. And, you know, let me just say this. Unlike these horrible, girly clubs and strip joints today, the the bunnies 
were dressed appropriately. Um, there, it was class. I hear you. There was no lap dancing or nothing like that. Sure. Uh, the food, the food was uh, incredible. Er- everything about it, you know, the best wines, the best liquors. The golf course was to die for. I mean, it was. Uh, as far as baseball parks, it, it rivaled the Yankee Stadium. I hear you. So the the whole thing he did, everything about it was class. Well, um, that's why they called it Playboy. You know, he wanted to promote this upper class lifestyle of recreation and and fun. And um, you know, the whole idea of these key clubs that was, a, I guess, a really big phenomenon. And obviously, before my time, but you know. Um, were, were you aware of any other sort of like exclusive clubs like the Playboy style? Yeah, yeah, there were a few. Even in Chicago, uh, we had the Gaslight Club. Yes, they they tried to do a similar thing. You know, they had the, the girls dressed with the, you know push them up bras and stuff like that. Sure. But but it, it it didn't even come close. That's really it cool. didn't come close to rival the the whole mood that he created. Um, it was a great escape for guys who wanted to go go away for a weekend, go up there and stay for, you know, a, a Friday, Saturday night and play golf and then uh, go to the club and drink and enjoy yourself and and you didn't have to worry about driving. You didn't, you know, it was sure. it was it was a very very classy joint. Do you remember any uh, jazz acts or comedians that you saw at the at the various Playboy clubs? No, I honestly okay. I, I I don't I don't remember any. Uh, to be honest with you, but um, he 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 again he he put a lot of young comedians, uh, especially black comedians. Yes, he he put them on the map. Yeah, I we. I mean, uh, Bill Cosby being one of them. Sure, I you know uh, the author that I just spoke to, Patty Farmer, she was talking about Dick Gregory. Uh, really yep. breaking through because of the Playboy Club and had a big Time Magazine article about him and really became this Flip national sensation. Flip Wilson was another one. Sure. So, sure. yeah, it, it, it really, really, uh, it, it's too bad of what has happened um, today. You couldn't do it. You know, today, guys go to those clubs and they're, they're there to fool around and... Yeah. And see naked girls, and and it's it's just a whole different ball game. And they would go to places like that instead of going to a Playboy club. I hear you. Do you did you watch Playboy After Dark or uh, the Playboy Penthouse, the the television shows that Hef was making in the late fifties and early sixties? Occasionally. Okay. Occasionally. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I I didn't go there a lot. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I uh, understand. <laughs> I, I I occasionally, occasionally. Uh, would go to the club downtown, and maybe uh, at best three or four times up to Lake Geneva. Got it. Uh, and no, I'm surprised. And, I, and it was re- the, the Lake Geneva story was really interesting that he sunk so much money into that um, that club in particular. He ended up having to sell it. I know in the in the late '60s, and it's yeah. still there. It's the Grand Geneva now. Um, yeah. So it still exists, but I guess I was just talking to a friend. He said that there, there's really no uh, representation of what it was when it was the Playboy Club, as far as any memorabilia or photographs or anything on display there. Which is a shame because no. it's kind of a historic place, and certainly the old Playboy Club as well. Um, were you like the various rooms, the library room? Did you did you kind of check out all the different uh, little nooks oh, and crannies? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I did the tour. I, I had a a buyer at Weebolts. Okay. 
old department store for people there. who may not know. Yes. Yeah. He he was a and no no pun intended a real schnorr and <laughs> he loved he loved to be wined and dined and entertained and um, so and he liked to play golf so it was a you know a, a nice way to entertain a guy that was you know giving me a lot of business but um, it 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 was class it really was. Did, did did you watch that TV show Mad Men, Joe? Because you know that kind of represents that yeah, era we, of we watched, and recreation. Yeah, we watched a few sessions. Laurie and I did. What'd you think? It got kind of boring after a while. <laughs> well, you but, lived um, it, man. So you're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> oh, I did live it. There's no question about it. I did live it. I understand, man. It was uh, well, it was just the way it was in those days. Sure. You know, I mean, there's no getting around it. Um, Buyers love to be entertained, um, and it's just the way, it was the way you did business. I understand, and, and truly, like you said, it was a it was a class operation, and uh, it made uh, you know people there feel like they were living that Playboy dream that was represented in the magazine. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. No, I appreciate your yeah. memories, Joe. Thanks a lot, man. This is a good addition to okay. the conversation with Patty. Thanks for talking to me. Okay, John. Talk to you later, buddy. Okay, that was my cousin Joe Renna, and I appreciate his thoughts on uh, the Playboy experience. And now we uh, transition to the author, Patty Farmer. Again, Playboy Swings, her first book, incredible if you're a jazz fan and if you're a fan of uh, 50s through 80s culture. I mean, really, she takes us to the modern age because the Playboy clubs have had a renaissance and currently in London and Tokyo, as I remember from our first interview, there are Playboy clubs again. But uh, this conversation and the bulk of Playboy Swings was about the heyday of the Playboy clubs, the entertainment you could get there. And uh, this new volume, Playboy Laughs, no exception. Such a great book, incredible interviews with the stand-up comedians that uh, were popular during the Playboy club heyday, but also uh, the cartoonists that uh, you will recognize if you're a comic book history fan and their important part of Playboy's culture. So uh, it's really great to have this opportunity to have Patty Farmer back on a new episode talking about the Playboy culture now on Word Balloon. Patty Farmer, welcome back to Word Balloon. It's really a pleasure to talk to you again and congratulations on the uh, second book on the history of Playboy. Oh, thank you, John. You know, I, I love any opportunity to talk to you, number one, and your listeners, and especially to talk about Playboy. There was really great interest in our first interview that really covered uh, Playboy's history with jazz, Playboy Swings, and this book now, Playboy Laughs, this is doubly exciting for me because I'm a big uh, comedy nerd, and I'm also a big cartoonist nerd, and it's wonderful how these two oh. subjects dovetail into the history of Playboy and uh, yeah, so really, honestly, you, you, you hit the sweet spot. This is <laughs> this is really fun. <laughs> Glad to hear that. So, um, you know, Hefner was always at you know the vanguard of all the uh, the new things that were happening, and certainly in the fifties. And you know, hand in hand with his love of jazz, he was there at mm -hmm. the beginning of the cultural shift in stand up comedy from the old Borscht Belt Henny Youngman guys to this new group that came in the 50s, people like Lenny Bruce and Shelley Berman. And that's, you know, again, what what a visionary to see this is where things were going. Absolutely. And I think he, uh, he and Playboy, of course, served as a bridge almost from that uh, era 
up into the, the 70s and 80s when they started having the comedy clubs and the improvs. Uh, the Playboy circuit was a huge, uh, important part of the culture and the nurturing and giving these, these great artists, you know, a platform to work at. You know, people like Jerry Van Dyke said if it wasn't for Playboy giving him a weekly paycheck and putting him on the circuit and letting him play out in Des Moines to get his timing down and, and practice working in front of an audience, he wouldn't have been ready when that opportunity came to move up to the next level. No question. And uh, there are some amazing stories in here. Uh, and again, I think uh, timely uh, as far as where things were going in society. Erwin um, Corey and Dick Gregory's uh, connection and, and how that was a big game changer in comedy. I know that's one of the stories you cover in the book. Right. And that's, that's one of the uh, iconic stories on a couple different levels. You know, Hess uh, opened up the Playboy Clubs in February 1960 and in Chicago, of course. And uh, he loved comedy. You know, he loved jazz. He loved uh, comedy. That was, you know, just ingrained in him. And there was a wealth of talent to pick from in the local comedy clubs in, in Chicago. And uh, he had actually met Irwin at one of the clubs, and they used to play poker together. So in addition to loving his, his comedy, and, you know, let's face it, Irwin Corey just, <laughs> whether you like the guy or not, looking at him makes you laugh. And then when he opens his mouth, you're just, you know, gone. But um, he hired Irwin to uh, to play one of the uh, clubs, the Chicago club, during the uh, early early months. And there was one time that Irwin didn't want to play, and uh, he suggested uh, Dick Gregory, who was a, a great black comic at the time. But, you know, it was also a time in our country where segregation laws were were going on. But, you know, Hess, Hess never paid any attention to that and uh, put Dick in front of not only a white audience, a completely white audience, but it was a bunch of, um, if I'm not wrong, I think it was meat packers or meat workers. <laughs> meat, you know, I think it was meat packers from Alabama. So, um, to listen to Dick tell it, you know, he uh, couldn't let the fear show. But he just uh, launched in, and the show's typically, you know, they're typical stand-up comedy routines, and they go, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes or so. And after a couple hours, Victor Lowndes went over to the mansion where Hess was and said, you know, you, you get in the car, I have to take you over to the club because you're missing some, you're missing history. And even by taking that time out, by the time he got back, they still, these, whatever they were, meat packers, wouldn't let Dick off the stage, you know, and you know what it's like, give a comedian a st an audience, and uh, they don't ever want to get off the stage. So it was really, really something to see. And at one point, uh, there was somebody from Time Magazine at the Playboy Club, they caught Dick's act, and they wrote about it. And, um, you know, it really launched Dick's career. He got the Jack Parr show and and on and on. But um, he really gives Hugh Hefner credit. He got his star on the Walk of Fame two years ago. And one of the first things he said was, you know, I credit Hugh Hefner for breaking the color barrier and 
you know, helping me stand here with a wall, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It really opened the door for, for people like Cosby and, and others that followed that were so, you know, popular in the 60s. And yeah, really, uh, you know, the Jackie Robinson of comedy, Dick Gregory. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's an incredible story. And, and you have a lot of these great stories in Playboy Laughs. And I, um, you know, he again, Hef was a, a big Lenny Bruce booster and uh, the sick humor movement that he and Mort Saul mm-hmm. and some of these others, you know, represented. And again, it was where, you know, sophisticated comedy, the the take my wife, please guys were welcome, I guess, as well at the clubs. But this was a new forum. And it was interesting that hand in hand with the club's evolution came this new comedy movement. Absolutely. And, you know, the sick comedy, if you look at the list, because it was an actual list, um, my mind's drawing a blank right now who put out this list. But I mean, it Included people like Bob Newhart was on that list, <laughs> and uh, you know, I question that. You know, uh, Lenny Bruce, okay, uh, Mort Saul, yes, I can get that, but um, Bob Newhart, and I've heard his older routines. You know, I didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't know why he was on the list, but he was, and uh, you know, Hess liked it. It had an intelligence. It was, you know, a. Uh, uh, really uh, you had to think about what Lenny was saying and it was things that he had thought about um, everyday things sometimes but uh, you know this it was the start of uh, political humor and Mort Saul for sure uh, you know carried that through and you know unfortunately Lenny was um, a sad story you know we lost him in his what 40s early 40s right and uh, Hef did everything he could to um, help him, and unfortunately, I don't think anybody could have saved Lenny from himself. But, Se- seems um, that way, yeah, based on, the- on yeah, his history and everything. No, absolutely. And yeah, and for people who don't know, Lenny Bruce was uh, charged with obscenity a lot at a time when, mm-hmm. uh, this is before George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words You Can't Say on Television, and the police were very strict about that, threw him in jail a lot, and have, as Patty says, you know, really helped him out with, you know, court fees, and, uh, you know, and also was just this this guy representing a mainstream culture standing by this very controversial comedian. I mean, you know, it stands with some of the comedy controversies of today, probably even more so because, again, the, you know, the poor guy was thrown in jail for what he said. Right. And, John, you know, I'm sure you know this, but maybe there was one or two of your listeners that doesn't. But they used to use the obscenity uh law against him for um, making fun of the Catholic Church. You know, I mean, nobody was immune to Lenny. He's Jewish, and he had a lot of things to say about his own religion and culture. But, you know, Chicago, people think Chicago was run by the mob, and they came in second to the Catholic Church. So you'd have these, these cops that would go around to the clubs and say, you know, if Lenny makes one more crack about the Pope or makes him the butt of one more of his jokes, we're going to close you down for, you know, we're going to arrest him for obscenity charges, even though it's not what we think of today as obscenity. But uh, we'll close the bar down, too. You'll, we'll pull your liquor license. So, um, you know, it was really sad, you know, what happened to Lenny Bruce. It was... Uh, just uh, a sad time. He was so, so funny, but maybe he was ahead of his time. Agreed. Um, and, and again, an inspiration to people like Carlin and Richard Pryor and, and, and the, the comedy movement that came in the, in the 60s. And you've got great interviews 
with the comedians that were there, with other observers of, of the period. And, uh, God, I'm really glad you got people like David Brenner before he passed away because he mm-hmm. really, I think, in both directions was a, a great you know connection to the era before him and the era that came after him. And, again, a guy that really was paying attention to what was going on in the clubs and around him. Jimmy Walker, Larry Storch, for God's sake, in his 90s. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, so, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really great. And, I, and I'm glad because this is, you know, a really important chapter in comedy. Again, it was a game-changing time. And the Playboy Clubs as a tour circuit really represented, you know, a path and a career for comedians that they could make a good income at a time really between, you know, I, I don't even know, the supper clubs and, and, and the nightclub circuit and then the comedy clubs of the 70s and beyond. You know, really the Playboy Club really right. helped, you know, helped a lot of people out, right? Right, absolutely. It was like I said, that bridge, you know, that that spanned those two decades before uh, the improv and the st- comedy clubs started popping up, and a different kind of comedy club was was presented. But again, you know, those the clubs of the later years, you didn't get a steady paycheck. You know, you got a the hat was passed around, you got a piece of the the door. You know, a lot of times. And uh, the Playboy Clubs didn't pay a lot, but they paid steady. And, you know, a lot a lot of the folks went on to become household names. But there were a ton of other great comedians that just worked. You know, that was their job. They were on the road 50 weeks out of the year and got paid for it and did that their whole lifetime. Sure. I remember uh, Carlin doing a wonderful, long oral history interview uh, for the uh, American Academy of Television. And he really went into that period where he said, really, the Playboy Clubs provided a steady income because, you know, you were on that circuit. And, uh, you know, I mean, how many clubs in the 60s were there uh, across the country or probably Canada as well, internationally? Internationally, they um, at the height of their popularity, it was 42. So that's, you could work, you know, if you had two weeks a year, I mean, two weeks at each club a year, you know, I mean, that was your year. And and George, George was there in the beginning when he was a clean-cut college guy and showed up wearing a tie. And it was, you know, he perfected and kind of like, like you had mentioned, got to that stage where it was the seven words you couldn't say on TV. And Hef, uh, even though it was Playboy, and Playboy has, uh, people have their own ideas of Playboy, Hef ran strict clubs, and he had to have the talk with George. He said, George, you're my good friend, and I love you, and you're always welcome in my clubs, but, you know, I'm afraid you can't be on the stage anymore. You know, you've outgrown us, so uh, time to move on. And it was the same for Richard Pryor and a couple of, of the other folks, you know, Red Fox, you know, all these great guys. But they had to keep it clean at the Playboy Club. Interesting. I love to – by the way, and I, and I meant to uh, congratulate you, love your participation in uh, Hugh Hefner American Playboy, the Amazon Prime series. Uh, it's great. And it's great if people haven't seen it. It's half documentary and half drama. They, they dramatize the right. real events and then cut to you and, and other experts and half and members of uh, the magazine and behind the scenes – and there's these great interview pieces intertwined with this great drama playing out. It's fantastic. It, it was really good. And, and interestingly enough, Amazon had contracted with the producer for six series, you know, his weekly series. 
And the producers went back and they said, you know, we're having such a tough time. There's no way we can squeeze Hefner's life into six weeks. And without blinking an eye, they said, you know, 13 weeks. And they expanded it to 13 weeks. And even that didn't cover this great man's life. Understood. But, uh, you know, it's... It's really great, and I love the you know cutting back and forth from the drama and and the real documentary interviews as well. Um, back to your book, though. Yeah, they, yeah I mean, honestly, you, no, you're great on it, and I and I'm really glad you're you're a you. part of it, and I can't recommend it enough. I have Amazon Prime, so I was thrilled to see it, and uh, yeah, it's it's terrific, great story. So, but um, regarding you know, John and and Hef gave so many different. Uh, helped so many different groups you know we had uh, uh breaking the color barriers for the african americans and helping start a lot of comedians on their path and one major group which is why i interrupted you i was so excited uh that i remembered was women you know phyllis diller broke in uh and was given uh an audience on playboy penthouse and and Joan Rivers, I had the great pleasure to sit down and talk to Joan Rivers and Lily Tomlin and Kay Ballard and Mimi Hines and all these great funny ladies were, you know, happy to have Playboy around to help them and get them in front of an audience also. Absolutely. And that was literally going to be the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. And you're right. I mean, um, and when we get to the magazine portion as well. That's the great part of, I think, Playboy's story that sometimes does get overlooked is the, you know, fact that so many women succeeded on stage at the magazine as well. And, uh, yeah, they were a big part Mm -hmm. of the Playboy story and not just the bunnies, not just the centerfolds, but really uh, working women and and women that were respected for their minds and and as well as (laughs) their bodies. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) No, honestly, I was really excited to see that you got to talk to Lily Tomlin Again, another woman that is so important to the history of comedy and I think very well respected in the circles. It's great to see her still at it, you know, in Grace and Frankie, the the uh, Netflix show. Oh. And she's still as, as funny as she I, was, you know, 40 years ago, you know, 50 years ago. True. I totally agree with you there. I could watch her all, all day long and the evolution, you know, from, uh, you know, her early shows to, like you just mentioned, uh, Grace and Frankie, just hysterical. You know, I... Just have tears in my eyes watching her. Absolutely. Well, another one of Hef's passions was uh, cartooning. And um, I forget, mm-hmm. and I'm glad you remind us in the book, that Hef was himself a cartoonist. And in some of his earlier pre-Playboy college magazines, uh, there was some Hefner art and also early Playboy magazines, right? Right. I mean, that's what he wanted to be. And many people don't uh, realize, and lucky for us, he didn't succeed, but he wanted to be a cartoonist. He wanted to make his living with the great cartoonists of the day. You know, people like Jack Cole and Arnie Roth and Al Jaffe, and he wanted to be a cartoonist. Um, even coming out with his own cartoon uh, comic book in 1951, he had a full page, a uh, full 74 page comic book came out. And uh, gosh, I'm going to screw up the title. It's such a long title. It's called, I think, This Toblin Town, Chicago, a Rowdy Burlesque of Manners and Mores. But um, I've read it. I've read every page, and it's funny, and he did a good job. But he just wasn't good enough to compete with the greats that were around during that era. That was another era of these 
talented, talented artists who just decided to go into cartooning at that time instead of become, uh, you know, traditional artists. And uh, so Hess went on to start up a men's magazine instead, you know, second best in his mind. And uh, I think uh, he did a good job at that. I think so, but he was also smart enough to hire <laughs> some of those wonderful cartoonists. And Jack Cole is uh, a golden age uh, cartoonist, very respected in the comic industry because of his creation, Plastic Man. And it's so great mm-hmm. that uh, he, he had a tragic ending, unfortunately, you know, sort of like Lenny Bruce, even a little more grisly. Uh, you might have said, you know, mm-hmm. in Bruce's case, it might have been an accident. Uh, but Cole uh, really had this wonderful act, too, because it was right when comic books were, because of the Senate hearings, you know, really dumbed down and, and really became more of a kid's medium. And thank God, you know, mm-hmm. Hefner and Jack Cole found each other and Cole had this great act three, you know, doing such wonderful cartooning for Playboy. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he actually moved to Chicago to to be right around Playboy and uh, be able to be there and be around Hess and, and work there. But, you know, he was one of many. Shel Silverstein, uh, Leroy Neiman, you know, yeah. whose art hangs in museums around the world today. And you know, when you think about it, John, it's not a bad gig. You get to hang around those uh, Playboy offices, beautiful people, uh, get paid for coming up with Femlins, which was uh, Leroy's little thing, little girl. The Femlin was half girl and half uh, little s- sprite or whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a bad bad job at all. People absolutely loved it. Shel Silverstein, uh, Arnie Roth, Al Jaffe, yes. who at 96 is still working for Mad Magazine. Absolutely. 96. Yep, doing the... Uh, I visit with him. The, the fold-in, the, uh, the, the, back, the, yep. back, back, the back page issue, the opposite of the uh, centerfold, the pull-out centerfold. Uh, he innovated for Mad Magazine, the, the infamous fold-in gag. And yeah, like you said, 96 years old, still doing it every month. I saw several Mad Magazine people at Comic-Con last weekend, and we were talking about Al Jaffe. And um, also, and, I, and you know, you, you provide these wonderful biographical sketches of these cartoonists and the comedians as well and get their observations when, when they were still living. People like Jules Pfeiffer, my mm-hmm. God, what a renaissance mm-hmm. man that – you know, wrote films, Carnal Knowledge, and, and, you know, really important Broadway plays, yeah. and this master cartoonist in his late 80s and still this incredible force going back to the 40s and 50s. And it's funny you mentioned Carnal Knowledge. When I was talking to him, he just kind of off the cuff said, you know, of course I got all my ideas for Carnal Knowledge from hanging around the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> Because he was, a, you know, not only worked for Playboy, he was a good friend of Heft's and, you know, hung out with him at the mansion all the time. And that's where he got his ideas for carnal knowledge. <laughs> funny, I thought. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Cole kind of came up with, it seems, the template for the the great artists that have followed in terms of those kind of New Yorker style cartoons that you know were the one panel gags and again this level of sophistication to them that you know Matt and I, I'm going to get into you we mentioned Al Jaffe and Mad Magazine there's a lot of great mad creators that, that were for Playboy but again it's um, mm-hmm. mad and that that era of, of 50s cartooning 
these were like, you know, the, the daily shows of their day, these single panel gags, and as vital as any snide columnist that is, you know, commenting on, on current society. And it's this great madman era, but, you know, really biting humor that, you know, stood with the stand-ups and, and again, was really part of the important, or, not, you know, important maybe is getting highfalutin or something, but the relevant humor of, of 50s, right. 60s society. Right, absolutely. And I'm so happy that you said that because, uh, you know, you get... 99 people that get it and yet i've had a few that have said you know why in the world did you include cartoons and i'm like i don't even know what to say to them i'm like <laughs> obviously you don't know about them so um yeah you know really really uh important culturally and hef being hef he was uh he was definitely everybody said a micromanager but they said they really uh, valued his edits, but you, you have to like kind of picture the process. You know, they would submit a cartoon, and uh, Hef would uh, make his comments and send it back. But this is the day when you had to put things in an envelope and put it in the <laughs> put a stamp on it and send it, and then you know you'd send it from Chicago to you know Al Jaffe in New York, and Al would open it up and look at the. Uh, comments in the the columns and he'd make his adjustments and put it back in an envelope and you know send it back to Chicago and do this every single month for either a panel of cartoons or a cartoon so much work went into it it was um, really an art piece and you have people like Doug Sneed who if you look at his his art and I've included a few examples in the book I mean, they're just beautiful, beautiful artwork. No question. And uh, uh, again, back to the the group at Mad Magazine, uh, when Harvey Kurtzner kind of got frustrated with Bill Gaines and it was time to leave Mad, Hef was more than happy to welcome Harvey and, in fact, created a magazine that has a a title that had a different meaning back in the 50s. Oh, my gosh. Trump. Trump magazine. It was the cartoon uh, um, uh, comic book called Trump. And uh, Hef wanted to make comic books a little bit upscale. You know, comic book paper at that time was like newspaper yes. uh, that they bleed through. And, and he had a higher quality paper. And I love the uh, line when Hef was questioned after they folded, because unfortunately, due to many reasons, but... They folded after only uh, two issues. Yes. And uh, somebody asked, uh, asked Hef, you know, what happened? And he said, I gave Harvey Kurtzman uh, uh, an unlimited budget, and he surpassed it. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> but uh, he went and he, he took all the mad guys with him. Yes. So, uh, you know, the uh, Gaines was not happy about that. But uh, Al, Al Jaffe you know, needed to work. And so he eventually went back and said, I'll do anything. Take me back. <laughs> and they did. I know, um, I think it was Dark Horse Comics in the last year or two republished the two issues of Trump in a collection. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it really is great. And Bill Shelley just wrote an amazing uh, biography of, of Harvey Kurtzman's as well. And again, I mean, these are these are comic book gods, you know, and certainly the gods of comic book humor. Uh, Jack Davis, another wonderful mad creator mm-hmm. that did stuff for Playboy. And in particular, Will Elder and Little Annie Fanny, which mm-hmm. 
you know, again, was a big cultural revolution, a, a parody of Little Orphan Annie to a degree, but not really. It was its own thing. But if you would, can you talk a little bit about Little Annie Fanny? Little Annie Fanny was, um, gosh, that was a group effort almost. Well, it was definitely um, because, you know, this is a monthly magazine and everything has to be done fast, but it, it took so long and each each piece was like a, a full-on artwork, and they pulled in uh, Arnie Roth and uh, Al Jaffe and uh, was it Davis also, I Jack think, Davis, yeah. to work on it. And, uh, you know, it was just like an assembly line almost, you know, to to get this out every month. And one, a couple times in particular, Hess put them up at a hotel and so they could just work on this piece. And there were New York guys. You know, I should mention that they were <laughs> in New York and Playboy was in Chicago. And, uh, you know, they were ordering room service. And, I mean, we don't have enough time to go into the stories of, about them being at the hotel. But I have them in the book. Yes, you do. <laughs> and finally have said, <laughs> have said, you know, it's taking too long, costing too much money, and I'm going to fly you out to the mansion. You have to finish it up here. And, you know, talk about spending too much money. He had a limousine, take them to the airport, and they flew first class. And, you know, it was, it, it was you just have to, you can almost put yourself into the stories and, and shake your head and say, you know, what a crazy, crazy time. You got what some, a great time. You got some, but they got Law Annie Fanny done. <laughs> you got some really great stories from guys like Al Jaffe about some of the mad guys and and uh, they're, they're having to share bathrooms with the playmates. We'll leave it at that. Or the bunnies, I guess. Uh, you know, but it, they, right, this right. Is, oh, that's, that's great. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's a funny, funny story, and I'm not going to, yes. to tell it. But um, Willie was... Uh, he, he didn't like sharing with girls. Didn't like sharing the bathroom with girls. He thought they were just terrible, uh, and the reasons are funny. Absolutely, and they're in the book. Playboy laughs. It's uh, I, oh, and also I want to acknowledge the women editors of the uh, the cartoon department, right? Right, right. We had great uh, women editors, uh, Cynthia Maddox and Michelle. Um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking out right now. Uh, it's in the book. It is in the I book. Give, yes, forgive me. I don't have it open quite a bit. to point at uh, it. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm just blanking on her last name, and I, I should not. She was very, very important. Everybody uh, really respected her, and she nurtured and cared for the cartoonist individually a lot until she passed away uh, from cancer, from eye cancer. And uh, t- another another car- a woman took over, Amanda Warren, uh up until when Playboy made the uh, questionable decision about not having cartoons in Playboy magazine anymore. Well, so. yeah, I, you know, the, the magazine in its current form, uh, both digitally and, and uh, on the stands and stuff, there have been some, you know, choices that, you know, you've been to, I guess, whatever society tells you is, you know, what works and what doesn't. And maybe, in, you know, God, uh, cartoons are disappearing from newspapers. Uh, you know, it's it's tough, and you're right. It is shocking because it was such a an important part of the magazine. The the pinup artists also get their due, and uh, certainly the classics like people like Vargas. But you also talk about a, a modern mm-hmm. pinup artist, uh, Olivia. Now I'm going to try and say her name right, Debara Dinas. I think that's why we just call her Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> True, that's right. Of course, she only signs herself. Even Olivia. she, 
even she and and her manager they say just Olivia. That's how we publicize it. So um, that's right. You know Vargas. Uh, well, he wasn't a cartoonist. You know, he was one of our our great pinup artists, illustrators. Uh, he was included, and he too. It was a third chapter uh, of his life when Playboy came in and had these great Vargas girls. You know, for lack of a better word, uh, come and become a fixture in the Playboy magazine every month, and the audience just took to it like crazy, and. Uh, you know, through the different evolutions, even through the uh, wars, you know, the the wars have started having with uh, Penthouse and Hustler and uh, trying to compete with them and Vargas. There are stories about how he had a little bit uh, of a problem, you know, taking his pinup illustrations that were on our, our boys' fighter planes and on calendars and and kind of taking them to the next level in the uh, uh, men's magazine world. But there was him. And then when he passed, the torch was passed to Olivia, who is, of course, a, a female illustrator who works in the same style of Petty and Vargas. And she does amazingly beautiful work. Uh, there was a little bit of pushback. People weren't quite ready for a woman to... Uh, you know, be able to draw that kind of humor. But she had definitely made a place for herself in that world and um, does a beautiful, beautiful job. You know, just her, she calls her work cheesecake, you know, and, and we had a conversation about that cheesecake or pinup, kind of the same thing, uh, but just, you know, absolutely gorgeous work. Do you ever, um, in, in, in terms of touring with this book in particular, um, I always love that there are certain comic conventions and also pulp conventions and uh, graphic art conventions like uh, Spectrum that, that do kind of celebrate mm -hmm. this kind of cover and also interior art. Um, is there any plans for you know uh, your tour uh, for this book to, to try and get in any shows like that? Because this is the kind of you know, visual presentation that you know is always makes for a great panel when I see them at places like Comic Con, and I would think what you you know representing Absolutely. in your book would be great. I would love to go. I, you have to be invited or you know pay to go. So I can't afford to go. No, and my publicist isn't paying my way. So anyone who wants to invite me, I will be there. I'm telling you honestly, and I and I know some of the. Um, Playboy artists do set up um, our Chicago convention, mm -hmm. and I and I know a lot of the the artists that you know did Playboy work were obviously also guys that were doing print ads for the ad agencies in Chicago, major hub for national and international agencies, the Mad Men uh, hub. You know, Chicago is certainly that as much as New York. Right. And um, yeah, I just think um, if you know, so yeah, we got We got to make this happen. I know some convention people. I, I think that would really be great. I agree with you. you know? I would love that. Yeah, we're going to have to fire that up. Because it is, you know, the people like Olivia and, again, Doug Sneed. Yes. Uh, he makes the rounds there and the mad guys. Uh, you know, I think uh, it all goes hand in hand. I completely agree. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see what we can do on that <laughs> in, the, in the months ahead. <laughs> what is your plan for your, uh, for your book tour? Uh, just the regular, you know, talking to all... Uh, you great uh, radio folks and, and your listeners and book signings around the country, Barnes & Noble and small independent bookstores also. A uh, couple conventions. I'm out in the Hamptons next weekend. I was invited to a, 
a big event out there for uh, the Southampton Book Library, and uh, they invited me, and uh, I have uh, Barnes & Nobles uh, lined up for September around the country, so uh, I'll be around, and I, I hope uh, to meet some of your listeners. Yes, I hope so, too. I hope uh, they do come out to uh, signings, and also pick up Playboy Swings, which, again, uh, is is half about the clubs and, and certainly about the uh, the importance uh, that Playboy played as far as the jazz world goes. And I think we spoke in our last interview about an issue of Playboy that I got, I want to say it was February of 65, and I know that uh, Kim Novak was on the cover, and they had a whole big story about the Beatles mm-hmm. invading America in 64. It was kind of a 64 uh-huh. in review. And the like. my most favorite part of the magazine was, ironically, the, the jazz section that featured, we mentioned Leroy Neiman, these beautiful Leroy Neiman portraits of so many jazz greats. And it was like yes. a basketball or football, college football or college basketball, like top 10 or top 25. And you had the top 10 trumpeters and the top 10 drummers, top 10 yeah. vocalists, every piece of the jazz orchestra represented. And these great sketches of, well, Sinatra's number two, Meltor May had a better year. And just that kind of great, you know, uh, you know, analysis of, of the year in jazz. And I, and I just adored it. Plus these incredible illustrations for Neiman of all these great jazz people. Oh, absolutely fabulous. And actually, that was a Playboy poll. Those uh, rankings uh, the magazine had put out and asked the readers to send in, you know, who they thought was the, the top uh, bassist and vocalist, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it really mirrored who was, you know, the number one, number two. But that was a, a great, great issue. Well, and also, and the artwork, amazing. Agreed. And, you know, again, uh, this is, I'm always fascinated by these uh, societal cultures that crop up. Uh, We think that this kind of just started with the internet, but both with the key, the clubs and the idea of the key clubs and that Playboy was so important with that. Mm -hmm. And then also the entire Playboy culture and involving the fans in voting for your favorite jazz musicians and stuff. This was all pre-internet and Hef was, you know, assembling his his subscribers as an active participant in the Playboy culture and wanted them to feel as much a part of it as they possibly could. You're absolutely right. And again, it wasn't uh, click here for, you know, your favorite <laughs> favorite person. You have to really put yourself out there and fill out a form and find an envelope and address it and put a stamp on it. And mainly, you know, I'd say 98% were, were men that were filling out this uh, poll. So it was really engaging the audience, you know, the uh, who wants to be a playboy? You know, all these these men were actively engaged in in the culture around them, definitely. You know, the, really, the whole story of the playboy phenomenon is really amazing, and you're doing a great job documenting it and uh, getting these incredible interviews, assembling these great books. What can you tell us about the third book coming up? There's one more left, right? There's one more in the Playboy Chronicles, and uh, that's about the amazing writing. It's going to be Playboy Thinks, and again, Hefner hired only the very best in the writers and the editors, and this will cover that. You know, people like Ian Fleming, who wrote seven seven short Bond stories before they were made into movies, and Alex Haley before uh, before Roots. You know, and and he had this uh, thing when the interviews came into being. You know, the famous Playboy interviews, and he'd have great, uh, interesting people 
interview interesting people. And he had Alex Haley interview, uh, God, I think it was like the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. And um, he, he had said when he agreed to the interview, he said he just didn't want to have to talk to any Jew. You know, so Hefner said, we can arrange that. And he sent Alex Haley. Of course, Alex Haley knew what he was going into. But, um, you know, it's in a, that alone is, could take up a book. I mean, that was an amazing interview. But so anyway, I'm getting long-winded there. But that's, that's the next one, stories like that. That's fantastic. And, you know, of course, that's the joke. I, I buy Playboy, but I only buy it to read the articles. Uh, no, it's mm-hmm. – I well, and again, that was the great thing really from the start. And I think you even kind of allude to that in the first book as well, that it was really important for you know him to find these great pieces of fiction and also uh, nonfiction essays from the greatest writers available. And they did. They all contributed to Playboy and – Again, this was a time when, you know, it was still a, a reading society and, you know, you make allusions as far as it in Playboy Laughs to The Daily Show and things like that. Yeah, these were touchstones. They, you know, people came to magazines to, to you know, learn about things culturally and, and a bit more than, you know, the, the current reading uh, level of, of today's society. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being mean. I don't know. I know, I know uh, word balloon listeners. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Definitely tops how to lose 10 pounds in, you know, 72 hours. Right. Or Snooki's <laughs> auto. I saw that on the cover of a magazine today. Yeah, or Snooki's autobiography that we've all been waiting for since the Jersey Shore days. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, yeah. Too funny. What can you do? But no, that's the good thing. We've got better books like Playboy Laughs. Um, the digital book is out at the start of August and the, uh, the hard book is uh, out at the end of August, right? Right. They moved back the publication date. I think it actually will be out in a couple weeks, but now they're saying the end of August, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. No, uh, Playboy Swings was the first book. We did a previous interview about that. Really happy to talk about Playboy Laughs with Patty Farmer. Congratulations, another great book. And uh, based on what we've said, I'm, I'm looking forward to number three as well. Uh, thank you, John. And thank you for, again, letting me talk about one of my most favorite topics. That's Patty Farmer. I hope you pick up Playboy Laughs. It's available now digitally. And uh, let me just make sure. Yes, I'm looking now. Uh, the hardcover edition of Playboy Laughs is available at the end of the month, August 31st. The Kindle edition of uh, Playboy Laughs is currently available. So that's your choice. You can get it digitally or you can get it in the hardcover and wait till the end of the month. But I'm telling you, it's outstanding. I was so pleased to read it. And it is uh, an incredible book, 404 pages of just really interesting information, Playboy Laughs. And also, check out on Amazon Prime, Hugh Hefner, American Playboy. I mentioned that early in the interview with Patty. It's a tremendous docudrama series. Uh, It's fun. It, uh, I think, tells the Hefner story. It's an authorized story, but I think uh, there's warts in there, and, and I don't think they hide from those because it's part of the story. And it's just this incredible combination of a very good drama mixed in with actual documentary-style interviews with all the people that were actually there. From Hefner to all the behind-the-scenes magazine people to former centerfolds and uh, everybody that worked for the magazine, men and women, uh, it's a very, very good docudrama. I can't recommend it enough. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Word Balloon. It, it really was. This is This is one of those... Subjects that I always enjoy delving in. Mid-century pop culture from the 20th century, I think, is just fascinating. Thanks to our sponsors, InStockTrades.com. Again, the Essential Kurtzman Hardcover Volume 2 
Trump, the complete collection, not only the two issues that were put out by Hefner, it was a failure magazine, which is a shame, because again, the the star quality people that they had inside the book, including Harvey Kurtzman, Will Elder, Al Jaffe, Jack Davis, Arnold Roth, Russ Heath, Wally Wood, Mel Brooks, plus a great essay and annotations by Dennis Kitchen. It's it's a great book. I can't recommend it enough. 45% off from in-stock trades, $16.49. Among a lot of other great books that are happening right now at InStockTrades.com. You go there enough and you check out the comic book stuff. Well, here's something that's part comic book, but also part of a good portion of pop culture in terms of that particular book. Check it out for yourself. Go to InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. Uh, thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. And, uh, you know, back to uh, more of uh, what you come for every week at WordBalloon.com in the days ahead. I'm very excited. I've lined up some really fun guests, a lot of new people, and also some great uh, returning guests. And uh, in particular, coming up very soon, a legend in British comics. Not Alan Moore. I'll, I'll, let's wipe that name off. And someone I've never had on Word Balloon before. And I'm so excited to be talking to this man. Should I spoil? All right, I'll spoil. Pat Mills, everybody. The, uh, the wonderful writer from 2000 AD, the co-creator of Judge Dredd with John Wagner. Man, he's got this incredible, another guy who just wrote an incredible history about pop culture. This is about uh, the creation of 2000 AD, the things that Pat was working on before he joined the company, the, the very many creations he had a part in and others, his observations of the way the British comic book industry worked from the 70s to modern day so different, vastly different from uh, what we know as far as the American comic book culture and uh, I love it I, I'm, I'm enjoying his true history and then also he's got a novel that he's created with Kevin O'Neill that is a fictionalized uh, look at that same period of time and uh, pretty interesting too can't wait to have this conversation with Pat can't wait to share it with you on Word Balloon among some other, as I said, new guests and returning guests in the days and weeks ahead. So please come back for the next episode of Word Balloon. Check out the archive, wordballoon.com, uh, and enjoy uh, the hundreds, literally over uh, 600 uh, episodes of Word Balloon over the years. And I'm so happy or, you know, to share that stuff with you on a weekly basis as well. Wordballoon.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can find me on Stitcher, uh, all the various podcast platforms. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com, and follow me on Twitter, at John Word Balloon, or on Facebook, under my name and the Word Balloon Network. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.